0: also feeling like you're never quite catching up with all the things on your plate right now. Ooh, this week has been busy and tough. I hope you're getting more relaxation than I am these days. It's one of those times when I know I really need to just slow down wherever possible and take a little more time. So, with that said, I am aiming to keep up with weekly episodes for just the next few weeks and then take a holiday break. But in all honesty, I am totally behind on editing and I might not get there for next week. I so, so, so appreciate you for listening and for following along as I get to know and showcase so many amazing teaching artists. It is truly an honor to keep building this platform and dream up more ways of supporting you. And along those lines, don't forget to submit your work for our winter juried exhibition at exhibit.teachingartistpodcast.com. This is the last week, so get those submissions in. We would love to see your work. Now, I am excited to share my conversation with Corbray Smith. Just to give a little context, this episode was recorded during election week, while we were waiting and waiting for results. Corbray Smith is a middle school art teacher by day, dope Afro-futurist illustrator by night. Based in Oakland, California, he is active in the local art scene and has created and contributed to many murals in the Bay Area. He spoke passionately about teaching and how he makes an impact with his students by continuing to push forward with his art career. We talked about critique both in the classroom and with our own artwork, the struggles of juggling these two careers and making your own opportunities, while also working to defeat your ego. Corbray also talked about how anti-racist teaching is different for black teachers, and how exhausting it has been to educate white colleagues and help us along. He shared how he's so often been students' and even parents' first experience with a black person in real life, and has consistently faced and stood up to damaging stereotypes. Oh, <sighs> He has to fight for the humanity, the complexity of just being human, that is a given for white folks. Corbury expressed it all way better than I can, so I'll get to the interview but I do want to briefly say, especially to my fellow white educators, we need to step it up. Keep doing the work of confronting your biases and pushing the other white people in your life to do the same. Keep doing this work. Even when it's uncomfortable, lean into your discomfort. Okay, let's hear from Corbrey. All right. So I am here with Corbray Smith, and I'm really excited to hear from you and get to share your story, your experience. And I always like to just start with hearing about your background and framing it as how did you get into both art and teaching? How do they come together for you?
1: Yeah, the origin story. Yeah. At least for my artistic life isn't super interesting. I feel like every time someone asks me that they're looking for, for like this you know, in the gutter moment, like <sighs> art was the one thing that saved me. But, you know, mm-hmm. art's been a thing that's been in my life for what seems like forever. Mm-hmm. I remember being five and drawing in my you know, little lined notebook. So it's it's always been a constant in my life. I'm not sure what sparked my creative juices. I do know that, you know, school was really hard for me, like really hard. I had an IEP. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, I didn't get a lot of validation growing up
2: mm-hmm.
1: in school and I have a twin sister and oh, she's, wow. yeah, yeah. she's like the exact opposite of me. So I was like really bad in school. I say bad, but I mean, just learning was challenging. I, I'm a slow mm-hmm. processor and just slowing the uptake. I mean, she was always super fast and, you know, everybody would like throw praises her away. And I think that art was like the one thing where I did get a lot of validation,
2: mm-hmm.
1: a lot of attention in that way. You know, people said, Wow need to draw Winnie the Pooh for me. Like, you know, you're a good artist in school and kids want you to draw like Winnie the Pooh for their <laughs> binders. Uh, and, right. <laughs> and in. Yeah, so art, and I, I guess I've been blessed in that way, knowing that art's always been the driving force. I knew when I was 11 that I wanted to go to the Academy of Art in San Francisco. Like, I, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And I remember uh. when I was 12, catching Bart with my dad and like talking to a counselor and like, how can I you know, make this happen. And so like my, my path for the most part has always been figured out. Although, you know, it's definitely taken shifts and turns. Um, I wanted Mm -hmm. to be an animator when I was, when I was a kid and uh, I got the opportunity to take a class at the academy when I was 16 over the summer. And I took animation class and then It was like the hardest thing in the world. And it Uh. took so much patience and, you know, like thousands of drawings. I'm like, oh, this is not for me. And I wanted to (laughs) be like a sculptor. And I realized, oh, this is for sure not for me because hours it takes to like get your piece done. So it's just like always been shifting and changing. But I knew that I wanted to do something in the arts. Right. Yeah. And it it got kind of dicey in college. I was the best artist at my high school, right? I feel like everyone who went to art school was like, the best artists in their high school, one of the best artists, right? Like,
2: mm-hmm. and we're
1: just kind of cocky, like, you know, no one can touch us. And then we get to art school and, I mean, there's just so many talents. And I was blown away by just the level of technique some of these kids had. And I'm like, how did you get this good? And college was humbling and it was like a lot of blows to my ego, realizing like, why do we even have this ego? And just like wondering, is is art really for me? What am I going to what am I going to do in the art industry cuz at the academy they really push you to go to Lucasfilms or Pixar and mm. yeah I've never wanted to work for anybody and do art. I feel like you know I have my own ideas and my own passions and my own drives and I want that to be seen in my art and that can't happen if someone is dictating. So I just didn't mm-hmm. know what I was going to do. So you know college got kind of scary. But yeah, just being really blessed teaching kind of fell onto me Mm -hmm. in a really interesting way. I didn't have a job. For the majority of my life until I was 19. And I knew that I needed a job. I had a long distance relationship, and she was getting kind of upset with me because she was funding all the trips. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I need to have a source of income. Yeah. And so I needed a summer job. I couldn't work during the school year because art school is surprisingly demanding. So I, I knew I wanted to do something fun, though. Like, I think that's, I've been really hard headed in my life, and that I've I never wanted to do anything that wasn't going to to be enjoyable wasn't going to be fulfilling in some way and like i didn't want to work at like target or you know Mm -hmm. mcdonald's i wanted to do something that was just slightly more fulfilling and i used to go to camp way back in the day so i thought you know camp would be the perfect thing over the summer so i applied to this camp called camp galileo which is an art science outdoors camp i got in which is great it's like one of the bigger camps And not having any experience with kids, like at all, I was definitely super nervous. I didn't know if they're going to think I was dumb or, if, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, if you know, because I wasn't like super cool in school. You know, I didn't have like, uh, you know, a lot of friends or anything. So I didn't know if I was just going to be like this awkward person, just leading them around, you know, camp. Right. Yeah. And so uh, my first week I was, I was expecting to get little kids. So I thought, all right, if no one's going to judge me, if they're seven years old, there's no way. <laughs> <laughs> and so I got, I got placed with. A bunch of 12-year-olds, I'm like, oh, oh, this is the worst. Because 12-year-olds, they – I mean, I teach 12-year-olds right now. (laughs) Like, just roast machines. And so, (laughs) you know, I was definitely nervous. Didn't know how to handle a group of kids. Had no behavioral management skills. None of that. But after that week, I mean, it was the most fulfilling. It was the most joyful. I, I don't think I've ever felt that level of, like, happiness. The bonds that we created in that week, I, I didn't know I was capable of that. And in that mm-hmm. week, I started to really understand my my power and that art is something that naturally you know, drew me in. But also I have like this weird, one of my principals said I was like a walking icebreaker. You know, I, mm-hmm. I had this weird ability to like draw kids in and like I'm, I'm noticing like this is like, wow, I'm actually really good at this. And I never knew that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And <laughs> I didn't think about teaching. So I, I, I still thought I'm going to struggle as an artist. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to struggle. But I still needed money. And so I applied for an after-school program during the year. And I was a sub. And you know subs gets no respect.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I had to ride my bike to every school in uh-huh. Harry, California, after school where the kids are the crankiest. And they don't know me. It's a different school every day, and just get them through that program. And that really honed my ability to engage kids and connect with Mm -hmm. them. It didn't really help my pedagogy, but it definitely like (laughs) I, I definitely gained the ability to walk up to any group of kids and win a level of trust mm-hmm. and i got really good at it yeah
0: it sounds like trial by fire sort of
1: oh i'm forged that's like the that's the <laughs> the through line of my whole teaching career and my art career is just forged <sighs> through fire yeah because after school is i mean you're a teacher like after school can be really hectic and i think <laughs> some of the strongest people <laughs> in the world are after school <laughs> program leaders
2: mm-hmm. you know
1: so you know i i did that for a while and then i realized oh I have these two talents. I I really love art. I really love engaging with kids, and I want to create impact. I think as I got older, impact became like my big driving force. And so obviously, I need to meld these two things together. And I've never been great at math. I don't really want to teach English, so obviously, art is the thing I need to teach these kids.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so that was then like my goal, my, my future site was on becoming an art teacher. And then I just went for it. And I'm here now.
0: Amazing. So then did you end up going back to school for an education degree or like shifting your degree to be also art ed?
1: You know, I fell into this trap when you graduate college and then you're like, you know what, I'm gonna take a year off and I'll go back. Mm-hmm. But then it's like two years. You're like, no, I'm gonna go back. But then it's like three years, you know what I mean? Right. And so I I I just essentially never went back to school. You know, I got mm-hmm. my degree traditional illustration and I work primarily in charter schools. And so uh, yeah. right, they don't require you to have a credential. And so my education and teaching Came from teaching. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I, you know, I, I feel like that's just as valuable as going to school and getting a credential. You know, we do our PD works. We go off and learn from other teachers how to uh, become more effective teachers mm-hmm. and you know there's there's nothing like experience Like i know a lot of first-year teachers who come in with their credentials and i mean they, they still obviously have so much work to do i mean all teachers have a lot a lot of work to do constantly but right you know experience i think is just as valuable and so mm-hmm. i'm now a seven-year teacher i'm now currently in school because i have to be um a new california law says that uh if you're gonna if you're gonna teach, you need to have a credential. That's fine.
0: Yeah, I'm also I don't have a credential, so <laughs> same boat. Yeah, you
1: know, power to us, power to us. Yeah, you know? and that's the that's the real the force through fire, you know, mm-hmm. mentality there. It's you know, we didn't have like our mentor teachers, master teachers. You know, it is we get thrown into a classroom, and as art teachers, I mean, I'm not sure if this experience is the same for you, but. For the majority of my teaching life I didn't get coaching
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know I was, I was really seen as like a place filler and I think that's kind of what art unfortunately is in a lot of schools like right. a time where teachers can go you know take their breaker planning time and you have like 30 minutes Luckily, my position has become a lot more serious over the years, but I didn't get coaching. So I just had to like figure it out. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I feel like like for me, I'm a teaching artist. So I go into the schools and the classroom teacher actually stays in the classroom with me, Mm. which means the it's not coaching, but I do see. Depending on the teacher, sometimes they kind of jump in and, like, manage the classroom, (laughs) which is wonderful sometimes and not so great other times. Yeah. um. But it's really interesting just to see how – I mean, I see every teacher in the school, so I see the variety of how you can potentially – Handle different behaviors.
1: That was that was probably the hardest style of teaching for me. I, that was my first year teaching. That's how we did. It. I I strolled yeah. into the class, and you know if the teacher and me were cool, they would stick around and like do their work in class. And mm-hmm. I, I've always I think doing camp and doing after school programming really built up my behavioral management skills.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And like, I had like charisma, and I thought that was going to take me all the way, but. You know, a good lesson, a good lesson will really calm a kid down. You know, a bad lesson will destroy a classroom. And so, I had really mm-hmm. bad, badly planned lessons. And <laughs> there, there are times where teachers step in and control the classroom, and I'm feeling like ah, I feel a little defeated. Like I should mm-hmm. be able to get this right. Or right. There are times where I know I got it, and I know that I have a really good relationship with the class, and. I know the teacher's struggling, but I don't want to step in because I don't want to step on their toes. But I'm like, ooh, but if you just say this and this, then this can happen. Uh, you yeah. know what I mean? But <laughs> yeah, I, I just wasn't super happy with that formula. I definitely wanted my own class. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely wanted respect as an art teacher. I didn't feel like I was getting a lot of respect as an art teacher. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's a hard one.
1: And I get it. You know, art there's less stakes for the real world in our class, you know, we're not teaching for a test. Mm. There's no state funding depending on our, on what we teach them. Right. But I feel like we do as our teachers teach kids important life skills, how to persevere through challenges, how to think creatively. Yes. So I'm I'm actually head of the art department of my school now. So like that's the one thing that I'm pushing, you know, like high quality rubrics so kids know Mm -hmm. how to revise their work, how to create high quality work. What is high quality work? They need to know that when they get out there in the real world, you know? So
0: Yeah. How to critique and how to handle
1: critique. That's a big one. That's a big one. (laughs) Yeah, because you know the language is kids. Kids tend to, you know, without coaching around how to give critiques, it's like, mm-hmm. wow, that looks really cool, except this part looks really dumb. Like they don't know how to <laughs> right. like. Um, at first, when I was young, I'm like, what? You know, calling someone's work dumb would like hurt their feelings, right? But, you know, they're kids, they don't, their their brains just aren't there yet. But yeah. then I think back to like art school, you know, and I had art teachers who were like, wore the thick black glasses, and like you know, like the <laughs> turtlenecks. And they would come into class, and like tear people's pieces up if it wasn't good enough. So I'm like, what's, what's the difference here? You know, is there a difference here?
0: Yeah, not really. I mean, what I would do is usually just ask them to give an adjective that's a little more descriptive than like cool or dumb. <laughs> <laughs> right. exactly tell me what about it is cool what about it is not good and that's the thing
1: and then our job is to to help them understand the language to explain Mm -hmm. why something needs work or why something's amazing yeah so our job you know we're teaching kids how to like communicate with each other how to give people critical feedback like that's such Mm -hmm. an important skill set of how to handle how to not take things personally
0: yeah yeah Right. That's hard. I'm still working on that.
1: (laughs) I'm holding back tears constantly.
0: Oh, especially this week.
1: Oh. Yeah, it's, it's been really rough. It's been really rough,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and I think in the art world right now in Oakland, you know, every everybody's really inclusive. You know, breaking mm-hmm. into the art world here, it's it's definitely hard, but it's not as hard as it would be in like New York, where you have to know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody, right? Mm-hmm. You just gotta like show up to a show, have your art, and then you can start your career that way. And mm-hmm. and there's just so many different skill sets and. I feel like the energy in Oakland isn't a highly critical one. I feel like a lot of people take feedback as a personal attack.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: I think feedback with your art is one of the most important aspects of creating. Yes. Right, because you may not have seen something that someone – like a path you could have taken that someone else has seen or – Maybe you're stuck in this one type of design element and someone pushes you to break free from that. And, you know, I definitely feel like in the art world, specifically in Oakland, that's our our communities aren't doing that as much. It's kind of just like Mm -hmm. accepting everyone's work, which is amazing and as we should, but we don't look at anybody's work through a critical lens. And Mm -hmm. I, I kind of miss that. I love talking about art. Like, oh man, I love that you use these reds and this way in your composition Oh, in your line weight. Like, I love breaking down pieces, but I feel like looking at art critically is almost frowned upon. Hmm. It's so interesting.
0: Yeah. Is it something that you feel like you would want to push there or try to get started? Some kind of local critique group or something?
1: I'm a part of a collective called and Kofa. And we've definitely talked about bringing in unfinished pieces and doing critique sessions around them. We just haven't, you know, it, life is hard. Yeah. You know, we're going through the an election that's lasted 45,000 years. Mm. You, know, we, <laughs> you know, like we're in a pandemic, like, and, you know, just life is really hard. And I don't, I can understand why people don't want to hear something about their work. You know, yeah. I, I get that. Because the world is telling us about ourselves right now, so
2: mm-hmm.
1: what we have is our art right now. So I get yeah. that. So maybe, maybe after the pandemic and yeah. hopefully after somebody's out of office.
0: Yes. Uh, thinking back to teaching, is there? Do you have tips that you would give a beginning teacher?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, figure out what you want your class to look like. Not not aesthetically, but like mm-hmm. figure out when your kids walk into class, what do you want them to be doing? Mm-hmm. When your kids are sitting down, what are they doing? When your kids are waiting for instruction, what, like think step by step, how do you want the flow of your class to look? How do you want it to feel? You know, how do you fill up dead space? How do kids access information in different ways? How do you use your board? I've done coaching in a lot of art classes, and I think that's my biggest push. I I found with art teachers, we all have really different philosophies, you know, like, I know the art teachers in my network of schools, some believe in grading, some don't believe in grading, some believe in rubric work, some don't. You know, like some believe in lesson planning and unit planning in one way. So it's all very different. We're not <laughs> like a unified front on that on that part, but right. I think what we can all agree on is we want a safe classroom where kids can feel like this classroom has a level of consistency mm-hmm. that they can always understand the objective of a classroom in, in multiple ways and that mm-hmm. they know that their teacher can control the classroom can handle the classroom and keep them safe i know that my biggest thing when i started out teaching was i it hurts a little to say it but i just really want it to be liked but everybody wants to be liked, mm. you know yeah
0: and it's human nature
1: it's human nature you know yeah. and, i mean there are some people who like, who have the mentality of, like, I'm your teacher, not your friend. But I'm I'm a strong believer, like, you can be both. Mm-hmm. I've had my favorite teachers were also, like, my friends. I mean, and of course, there's boundaries you have as an adult, right? We're not going to converse in the same way you converse with kids your age. But, like, mm-hmm. I have your back. You know what yeah. I mean? And when I was coming up as a teacher, uh, my main focus was, I need you to know that I, I got your back. I'm one of the cool teachers. I'm Mr. C., I'm bomb. I'll go play tag with you, all that stuff. And like, I didn't have an issue. I've never had an issue with kids liking me. I know I can go to a classroom and I know the kids will like me, but that also created really dangerous behaviors in my class,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you know, and I I see that with other young teachers because they they just want to be liked. And so sometimes engaging in conflict, whether it be productive or not it's it's scary, mm-hmm. and you don't want a kid to you know react negatively to you. but I've seen kids in classrooms who can't get work done because it's just so loud or things are being mm-hmm. thrown around or kids are running around and they just want to know, like, do you got this? Can you control this so I can learn? Because they want to learn. At the end of the day, they, they want to be successful. Yeah. And so my biggest push is like behavioral management is key. Mm-hmm. If we say that we love the kids, we have to show them that we love them by creating boundaries in the classroom, making sure that there's zero death space in the classroom, that it's constantly engaging. And that you need to create boundaries and then never let anyone cross the boundaries that you you set up in the classroom. So Mm -hmm. kids know like, okay, my teacher got me. My teacher will definitely keep me safe. Mm -hmm. And I know this classroom will always be a consistent, loving space for me. So that's the thing that I I push. Like know how you want your class to look and know the boundaries that you're going to set up before you get to a classroom on your first day and Mm -hmm. then dedicate yourself to never letting anyone cross that boundary because then that's how you get that respect and that's how you get that bond and that love.
0: Yeah, and do you feel like there's... I feel like that's really good advice. But then I also part of me is like, but what about making room for the kids to help create those boundaries to help decide oh. what works best for this class? And maybe each actual group of kids, like each class, it might be slightly different. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and how like challenging that is.
1: Yeah, so, <laughs> <you> know, so, <laughs> yeah, of course. Like we mm-hmm. and that's the thing, like you, you teach long enough. And you come up with classroom expectations, you Mm kind of come across the same things, right? Like I feel like it evolves throughout time with the class. Like I teach cohorts of kids and Mm -hmm. each class is different because how they come in and that part of the day is different. Like kids in my morning class are always more calm, Mm -hmm. like just always a little (laughs) bit still waking up, (laughs) still waking up, you know, like got the eye boogers and everything like they're (laughs) They're usually the more docile group. And so mm. and there are certain things I do with that class that I won't do or won't expect from like my last class, which is typically the most like high octane, high energy, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> and so like those those expectations definitely develop over time and always have student voice. Yeah. Your classroom needs to be student centered always. Mm-hmm. I think there are set set expectations that we as teachers need to always have but my kids want to be able to earn music in my classroom Mm -hmm. absolutely earn it by doing this that and the third we agree to that oh perfect my kids want to be able to like i'm a really strong believer in kids should be able to engage socially while doing art because art is a social thing yeah you know when they're in their group and like they spend so much time not being able to talk in math or not being able to talk in like english or not being able to really engage with each other that, you know, I I need my classroom to be a place where they can engage. And that's what they want too. like. The only reason why I really feel that way is because my kids pushed me on that, you know, my younger years, Mm -hmm. because, you know, in the school system, they say, no kids, your room is too loud, but there's a, there's a productive, you know, loud, you know,
0: Right. right.
1: Right. So like, I definitely believe students should be able to absolutely hold voice when creating expectations
0: yes there's this level of yeah. agency
1: and independence there that they need to be able to develop
0: yeah and then that gives you more buy-in to what those expectations are
1: yeah and you know like how many adults truly listen to what you want right you know i mean sometimes they come up with some crazy stuff you know or sometimes they they come up like the music thing right like how can I give you music, but also get what I want to? So like it's mm-hmm. it's it's also a compromise, but like mm-hmm. you're compromising with them, you yeah. know, and that's not especially with like black and brown kids. I know my mm-hmm. mom. You know, I love my mom. My mom was like hard. She said like <laughs> it, it it's my way or the highway. That uh, that's it. Full stop. Yeah. <laughs> you know and we we treat kids like they're not actual people with functioning minds and autonomy and wants and Ugh. needs and passions and loves and they need to be able to express that and that's where the i'm your friend also comes in mm-hmm. but also i'm your adult friend so i'm going to put i'm going to put some parameters around what you want because you're a child and i think children are addicted to feeling really good regardless if it's good for them or not yeah you know like Like in Zoom, like my kids would much rather be playing video games and some of them only do that, you know, instead of going to class. (laughs) Right. Right. And If you're not there to like actually put some barriers around those things that release those endorphins, then they're only going to choose the thing that make them feel good because they don't know how to have self-control yet. Right. But that's where like the friendship part comes in. It's like, I got you. I'm going to listen to you. I'm also going to lead you in a way where you can get what you want in a way that's going to also teach you.
0: Yeah, and that skill of compromise is also a huge one. That's hard. Oh yeah. 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 My five-year-old is kind of struggling with that right now with her little friends, like the few people that are in our sort of pandemic bubble.
1: Pandemic bubble, I gotta have one. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I gotta have one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, little oh. kids. I, I've taught. I've taught every single grade. So I've I've mm-hmm. taught pre-K. All the way uh, up to high school. Yeah, and I, you know, I just don't know how elementary school teachers do it. I don't know uh, how preschool teachers do it. It's fun. They're like energetic. They're like, I love art so much, I can't wait. But like, they also can't share pencils, and they also, right. <laughs> you, you know, it's it like uh, teaching someone. I don't know. Teaching someone how to be like a human versus. Uh, Right. You know what I mean? Like I say I say that no, with, with no disrespect, but like, you know with with little little kids, it the simplicity of the issues, oh. I can't vibe with it cuz it just takes too much energy. You know, I feel like there's a complexity with middle schoolers and high schoolers, right? They're Yeah. what what they have conflicts with? I mean, that's that's that real social emotional work that's going to take them into adulthood, right? Like how yeah. do I deal with breakups? How do I deal mm-hmm. with my friends like actually stabbing me in the back or it's just them stabbing me in the back or do they just have other friends and they're just taking a break from you for a second? Like there's like mm-hmm. actual real social, emotional work there. That's, I just feel like is so valuable. The, yeah. the little kids, whew, it's, it's a <laughs> I, much respect to you, Rebecca.
0: Oh, well it's, it's funny because I, I actually used to kind of feel the same until becoming a mom. And now I, it takes a lot of patience, <laughs> but yeah. I, I love elementary right now. But the thing I felt like was funny when you said that first was that I've talked to so many elementary art teachers that will say like, oh, I taught middle school for one year and oh, my God, like I can't handle.
1: That. <laughs> yeah, look, middle school is hard. Middle it is hard. Is not- that's it's a hard thing. time. It is like their bodies are doing weird things. They almost mm. have mustaches. Like everybody <laughs> has mustaches. <laughs> like you know, they stink a little bit. Right. The brains are developing in a in a way where they start to have a high level of empathy, but like you know, they also want to be really cool and like it's mm. it's the time where they really want to play tag, but they they won't let themselves.
0: You know? mm-hmm. right right yeah, yeah that transition from like little kid to teenager that's oh that's so hard
1: it is it is and I think that's the I think that's where me as an art teacher you know really really comes into play like I think that's the that's the thing that intrigues me the most it's mm-hmm. like I guess being my teaching career being forced through fire I really want to be in the spaces where it is hard yeah You know, like the like fourth grade is I'm not going to say it's easy because teaching in general is one of the hardest professions ever. Right. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I could go into a room of fourth grade. I'm a I'm a really big black guy. I have a full beard. I go to the gym. You know what I mean? Like, so I walk in and unfortunately, kids react differently to male teachers than they do to Mm
2: -hmm.
1: female teachers. That's just what it is. Like, I, I know that I. Off top, get more respect. And mm-hmm. that's just perception, right? And so I sometimes have an easier time, you know, in the beginning, in the starting of a class, because... There's a level of intimidation until they realize that I'm, like, a super sweet teddy bear. (laughs) I have a a huge soft spot for, like, little kids, too. So sometimes they can get away with some foolishness because I'm just like, oh, you're so adorable. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, so, like, going into a classroom full of fourth graders, I feel like there's a level of ease there. That just having top fourth grade, but going to a room full of eighth graders who have something to prove. Mm-hmm. You're like, you know, you're going to earn my respect. There's like a oh, there's a challenge. There. I'm like, bet. Let me. I'm gonna. I'm gonna get that respect too. Watch. You oh. know what I mean? It's like, it's like uh, And that's where like you know your pedagogy really comes into play. Like how good is my pedagogy? Like how good are my systems in class?
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: because eighth graders don't pick up on those things. As quickly or as readily as like a third grade class might, mm-hmm. from my experience. I, I just like that challenge, you know, especially like in the art realm, because art is harder in middle school also because they don't ever want to show their work, like ever. Right. They're so insecure uh, about it. And yeah. so, like, that's, that extra challenge, too, is like, am I good enough to get you to want you to show your art? Like, ooh, I'm not. Okay. How can I get better? What techniques do I need to learn?
0: And what are what would your kind of go to methods be?
1: Constant, constant critique sessions and revisions, like Mm -hmm. getting them showing the work so often in the early stages that by the time they get to the later stages, they've already shown so many iterations. I also create a lot of expert groups. And so kids who like mastered the standard, then go around and start helping other kids out. And mm. the, the big issue I think kids is showing, like they don't have an issue showing me their work. They have an issue showing their classmates. Right. And I think if they're getting help from their classmates, because they're like, cause I, I refuse to help them. Like I, I will not help you. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a big like re- release authority to the classroom kind of teacher. Yeah. So I try to create systems where the classroom eventually will run itself, which is mm-hmm. hence the expert group. So if they want help, they have to go to another, they have to go to another kid. Yeah. You know? Uh. And so that breaks down a lot of barriers. And then they're excited to show afterwards because they're like, yeah, Isabella helped me. Uh, she really did this for me. Like they, I teach sixth grade right now and they're really into giving appreciations they love giving appreciations mm. so like you know they're they're still like the in between right. seventh and fifth they're you know they'll still give you hugs
0: still pretty sweet yeah, <laughs> yeah. still pretty
1: sweet yeah so uh, it's all it's all about constantly making them critique and revise and then getting other kids to help and like mm-hmm. refusing to help them unless it's like a code red and mm-hmm. like they're in tears and you know okay okay let me help you out buddy I got
0: you yeah I am jumping in here to remind you that there is one week left to apply to our Winter Juried Exhibition. The deadline is December 13th, so get your submissions in. Submit your work at exhibit.teachingartistpodcast.com. The guiding theme for this show is change. How are you seeing change, coping with change, and being a change maker? We would love to be introduced to new artists. All submissions will be considered for our social media, podcast interviews, blog, and future opportunities. Artists working in all visual arts media and international artists are invited to apply. The show will be juried by the incredible artist and educator Chloe Alexander, who goes by the hapless printmaker on Instagram. She will be selecting works for the show and helping us select eight artists to do an Instagram live studio visit with. Then, Maria Coit and I will also be creating several lesson plans based on the themes in the show and on individual works in the show, and we will invite accepted artists to create optional brief videos about their process and inspiration. Videos have been such great teaching tools for me, which is what we would like to create. Maria and I are both artists, and we face rejection often. It's disappointing, but I also know that no one can get into every open call they apply to, so we just have to keep applying. As one way to give back to the artists who apply to our call and are not juried into the exhibit. We've asked our juror, Chloe, to offer feedback on all submissions. That's always one of the most frustrating parts of rejection for me, the not knowing what I need to improve. Was there something I could do better next time, or was my work just not quite a fit for this show? Our hope is that we can offer some helpful feedback for all artists who apply. Our dream for this exhibition space, Play Plus Inspire Gallery, is that it showcases and builds up contemporary artists of all experience levels while also serving as a resource for teaching about contemporary art. We want to share your artwork and inspire young artists. We cannot wait to see your work. Submit your work at exhibit.teachingartistpodcast.com. And what's your teaching style with lessons and the way your classrooms set up? I know you're probably online right now, but.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's not my favorite. Oh. No. <laughs> yeah, we're real project based. I'm an innovator. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the work we do has to affect the community in some way. Like, I mean, it, mm, yeah. it has to affect the community in some way. And it's always driven by what I'm doing artistically. So I'm a muralist. So I'm doing a whole bunch of murals in, in Oakland right now. I'm a part of these nonprofit groups that are putting up these murals in downtown. And so now I'm doing a lot of mural work with the kids, you know, so it's always Mm -hmm. also depending on what I'm excited about. So my thing is I come from a time where my high school art teacher, I love her, Miss Ellis, she introduced me to so many different types of art. Mm -hmm. I feel like the general consensus around art is either you draw or you paint, Right yeah but so like my sixth grade class or my seventh or eighth grade class if we were in school we would start by doing illustrations like portraits discovering who you are so it's a lot of social emotional work yeah then we do a lot of embroidery work we start to work on quilts and talk about how quilts were huge in you know slavery days in order to communicate for the underground railroad and how can we bring values into our quilts and communicate to anyone coming into the space that they're welcome. Then we start mm-hmm. doing a uh, lino cuts and then protest posters, yeah. you know, around Islamophobia. And then we do mural work, you know, all that then in relation with like the seven elements of our creating like foundational stuff.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But like, you know, especially my boys would have never have done embroidery. You know what I mean? Right. But they see a uh, grown black man, out there like sewn so we make ugly dolls i don't know if you ever heard of ugly dolls oh yes that's one of the scaffolds yeah, that's we, awesome right yeah that's one of the scaffolds we have to the quilt and so i'm out here making my cute little ugly doll like oh so adorable <laughs> stuff in it and they're over here looking at me like that and they're you know they're out here making their ugly doll too so like we're breaking down like you yeah. know masculinity what, what does that even look like you know or like right something that's really rough like lino cuts like there's no going back once you lay in you know mm-hmm. you're your carving and that's teaching kids how to persevere so like i like the idea of giving them full autonomy when it comes to creating but i also think that Especially for the kids, so like I don't have an elective. Kids have to take art,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: so for the kids who don't see themselves as artists, I feel like that's really intimidating. Yeah, you know, like I have this uh. big hunk of clay. What I don't know, what do I do? Right, <laughs> you know. And then you have the other kid over here who's painting, and then another kid over here who's like, I don't know, three D modeling. You know, like yeah, it, yeah, <laughs> how-
0: yeah. It becomes. I mean, my challenge was that I don't have very much time with them, but. The teachers that I feel like do it successfully, there's a ton of scaffolding yeah. to get there. So there's a ton of like the more teacher led projects. There's a lot of that to lead up to total choice.
1: Well, you know, I I think I do that, but in reverse. So like the scaffolds mm. are always a little bit more free.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then the final summative assessment is always more like a constrained thing, mm. you know. Like for their ugly dolls, they can literally create anything, any any yeah. monstrosity <laughs> they want. They seem to show me that they can do like the back stitch or whatever.
2: Because
1: mm. I I know that you know kids also don't have a level of choice in their life. Like they are the least yeah. independent yeah. people on the planet. yeah Everything is decided for them, and so I definitely understand like the power of choice in the classroom and you don't you usually Mm -hmm. don't get that in the math room or in a humanities room and so it's it's our responsibility as art teachers that's another thing i would tell you know uh up and coming art teachers choice is really important yeah I think freedom can be dangerous sometimes the freedom of choice because freedom of choice that's not structured yeah it, I think it's a dangerous thing but if you can structure that freedom that choice like you'll you'll get so much buy-in like there be there will always be those kids who are like I can't do this, uh, this is the hardest <laughs> but like the majority or tier one kids are gonna be like this is the best thing ever I, I love that I got to make this I'm so proud of
0: them. yeah Oh, I love that. Yeah, and I feel like we've talked a lot about teaching, but I'm still, I, I'm like, I still want to hear more. (laughs) One big question and big thing that I'm trying to make sure I'm asking everybody is what your advice would be and how you're doing this, especially now with teaching online. Yeah, how you're in your teaching decolonizing and creating. And I know there's issues even around that language, but creating an anti-racist environment within your teaching and within your classroom. And you already shared a bit of how you're doing this, but I'm curious what advice you would have for teachers that aren't as experienced there.
1: Mm. Yeah. 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 So creating a, an anti-racist classroom is definitely like the buzzword of.
0: Right. I know,
1: know. Like everybody's saying it now and. I feel like Uh, my existence It's different for me because I exist differently, you know, as an art teacher there, you know, my, my white teachers have to go into that work differently. And I can't define that for them because Mm
2: -hmm. who knows
1: what biases they're holding, who knows how, how they're coming into that space. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You know, even if they can understand their own intentions, they can understand that, they have their white privilege and all that stuff, they can still, without realizing and be focusing a little bit too much on the black boys when it comes to behavior and not even understand, mm-hmm. like, that's happening. And, like, that level of work, like, you know, I think myself and the black teachers, the African-American teachers at our school kind of decided to kind of, like, step away from that and have them figure that out. Yeah. Because this climate, I mean, what's happening right now in the world is not new to us. It's. I think everyone mm-hmm. is shocked and chagrined by how how racist this this country. Like everyone is choosing Donald Trump. We're like, of mm-hmm. course they are. The majority of white women are voting for Donald Trump, Ugh. and people are like, I can't, I don't understand. I'm like, no, what? Obviously, this is what they're doing. This is what they've been doing since <sighs> you know since we since we got here. You know what I mean? And so like we we understand and we're tired. And so when I when I think of anti-racism in the classroom, I mean, when I'm in the classroom, the fact that I'm there is anti-racist. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting. I was asking my kids three years ago, you know, how does it feel or what did you think when I walked in the classroom? Am I your first black teacher? And in so many ways, I've been like a thousand kids, first black anything. <sighs> yeah. When I worked at Camp Galileo, it was nothing but a lot of Asian kids, Indian kids, white kids, and they've never interacted with the black person before, wow. right? And so one of the driving forces behind me teaching is, like, I get to infiltrate these spaces and mm. teach these kids, like, I'm their first experience with an actual black person in real life. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. a lot of parents' first experience with a black person in real life. Mm. You know, and I'm not like this, I may look a certain way, but I'm not like this rough and gruff violent human being i'm a whole entire person with complexities i'm silly i'll sing I, I walk around camp with a tutu on you know what i mean like and it's so disarming and then you know in my classroom i was asking one of my kids they said yeah mr c you're my first black teacher and honestly i thought you had a gun and i'm like wow. Uh, wow wow they they now know like <laughs> when i get upset they're like mr c you're not scary And i'm like great i don't want to You know, Mm -hmm. and so being being in these spaces Mm -hmm. um, is just so important, like having black teachers, black female teachers, black male teachers is super Mm -hmm. important because black children are viewed a certain way. But black adults, especially black men, were viewed as violent, were viewed as Mm -hmm. ignorant, were viewed as aggressive, all this stuff. And they need to see that we can be so, so many more things than what the country has defined us as. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say that every black teacher when they enter in the space is anti-racist. There, there's a lot of teachers of color who are lost in the sauce. There's a lot of Latino people who voted for Trump who like mm-hmm. super agree, like a lot of Cubans. You know, like colonization is is a hell of a drug. And so mm-hmm. I also talk about Islamophobia. I talk about homophobia. I talk about what's mm-hmm. going on in the streets right now. How do we protest? I'm also like a practicing artist and I make sure that I'm very visible, that the kids know that like when they go in downtown Oakland, they see this mural talking about Black Lives Matter. They see that mural talking about Black Lives Matter. And that's their art teacher. Yeah. That they know that I'm about what I talk,
2: mm-hmm. you know?
1: And it like forcing, like implanting these issues into class and centering a lot of your art projects around the social issues is really important. So mm-hmm. project-based learning, I think, is a really helpful tool. Like, you know, making protest posters through screen printing is, makes complete sense. Then taking your kids down to the protests and having them screen print protest posters for people. Like, you know, they're actually making a difference in that moment. Mm-hmm. And they're learning how to screen print.
0: Yeah. Amazing.
1: Which is like a, an, an industry. That's like a new wave that, you know, Ugh. it's happening in the Bay Area. It's happening You know, in a lot of places, people making their own shirts and starting companies that way. And this is like they're buying their through line through that, but they're also out there sending a message. They're also engaged politically. They're also engaged socially. They're also critically thinking about police. So it's like make your Mm -hmm. projects centered around what's happening now and then contextualize what's happening now with history. Like Mm -hmm. we're, we're all history teachers. You know, I teach my kids about police brutality now and I juxtapose that with the 1990 riots and I juxtapose Mm -hmm. that with 1965 and how police have historically been on the wrong side of history Mm
0: -hmm.
1: throughout our history you know what I mean so like I don't know if that answered your question. I got real fired up. I don't know if that answered the question.
0: No, thank you. Thank you so much. I want to listen and give you that space. And there was so much in there that is really, really valuable and people need to hear. So thank you. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Thank you for asking it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I love there's there's a lot, but I love how you're talking about infiltrating with your presence and breaking stereotypes that way. yeah. And I think the way you said it, that you're like, I am a whole being. I'm a complex human, just like we all are. <laughs> like, come on, people. Yeah.
1: And it's crazy how you have to infiltrate white spaces in order for them to understand that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But you know, it's I'm, on the flip side. I don't Rebecca, I'm sorry. What's your identity?
0: Yeah, I, I was gonna say I should probably say I think most listeners, if you've been listening for a while know that I am also a white woman. I'm married to a Latino, which I don't usually mention, but mm. so I have a little Latina daughter,
1: Yeah. but yeah. See, you know, I think that's the thing. Like, you know, I, I don't have to, I don't have to know you. I don't have to see you in person. I don't have to see any of your people to know that you are a whole entire person with mm-hmm. emotions with thoughts and dreams and all of that and i think that's the biggest part of colonization is that mm. your humanity is is seen your humanity is is known mm. and it is obvious to all of us whereas my humanity has to be experienced in order mm. for it to be real and i think mm. kids seeing that it's unfortunate that that's how it has to be but us african american teachers us latino teachers teachers who are like we minority teachers have to be that and we have to be in these spaces so these kids can see our humanity mm-hmm. know that we exist in a way that is not negative and they need to take that on to the next generation and like lead with love unlike mm-hmm. you know how <laughs> currently we're being led by hate
0: oh yeah mm.
1: you know hopefully after this we don't just rescind back into our mire and just create, you know, the normalcy that we had before mm. this all happened. We we keep those rose colored glasses off and we engage with ourselves mm-hmm. around our biases and around how we participate in racism and how we can disengage from that completely and totally Mm -hmm. you know and help our kids do that also so we can finally be a nation that lives up to what we've been talking about
0: yeah because like you said this is not new it might be new to some of us to actually like wake up and realize what's been happening but it's not new
1: and that's the role of artists we have to be able to create art that showcases what's happening right now Mm -hmm. and to like cement it and make it permanent i think Art is so important because we are the historians. We are the social commentators Mm -hmm. that last. Like people on CNN or whatever are like, you know, saying some really mean things about Trump. But Mm -hmm. it's like, it's the murals, it's the artwork Mm -hmm. that's going to be, you know, in the history books. It's going to be in the museums. It's going to remind people like, this is where we were at. Mm-hmm. And so, like, to all the artists out there, if you're still here 58 minutes later, um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I love you. You're still out here 58 minutes later. You must really mess with us. It's your job to make sure that you help remind people that this is where we are and we should never be here again.
0: Yes. And on that note, I want to hear more about your artwork I know we're going long, but I feel like it's like we haven't really talked about your art at all. So (laughs) (laughs) I want to hear more. Maybe would you be able to describe your work for somebody who hasn't seen it? And I will link to it so we can go look at it. But I feel like this is always helpful to get like a little description.
1: Yeah. So, you know, my art and my art name are definitely linked so my art name mm-hmm. is hell of futures mm-hmm. my art is very afrofuturistic mm-hmm. afrofuturism is this concept that black people exist in the future mm-hmm. you know if you if you watch any movie based in the future you have like lizard men and you have like blue people and you always have like one black person uh. or no black people you know what I mean so like, right So we can imagine a world that's so fantastical, but like, it's too much to include people of color. And so Afrofuturism, there's books written about it. It's all that, you know, there's a whole art wave around it. And I want to create. And what I do is I create portraitures of Black people in a way that is illustrative because I'm I can only do what I know. I'm an illustration
2: major. Mm-hmm.
1: I really love pen and ink. I really love the art of just drawing and inking something. So I want to be illustrative. I want to be like a comic book. Mm-hmm. I want to showcase black people in a way that's beautiful, in a way that we aren't seen, while also making it very modern, very futuristic. So Yeah. You know, I, I want us to be viewed as people who are here and will be here. And I want to make our presence very bold. Mm. And so I use like a lot of color. And so, yeah, I, I, I want our presence to just be a focal point for the future. And yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, And, you know, I, I feel like we're in a box, right? I feel like not, not that I feel like we are in a box. Black people are seen as, you know, we like, we like sports. <laughs> uh, by you know, like I'm a nerd. You know what I mean? I watch anime. You know, I like Mm -hmm. space stuff. I'm always watching the space documentary. So like a lot of my work is centered in space, you know, and I know a lot about space, you know, because black people are also very knowledgeable about things that have nothing to do with entertainment, rapping. (gasps) (laughs) So I want that to also be showcased, right? Like,
0: yeah, breaking those stereotypes again.
1: Right. So we have hella paths we take, hella futures Mm -hmm. that we can exist in. You know, we are nerdy, we are cool, we are Trekkies. So I want my art to like represent, I mean, I think it's arrogant to say that my art represents holistically what black people can be. But like, I I just want it to represent Mm -hmm. something other than what we are thought of.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely and with your murals you said you were working for several like working with different nonprofits and also a collective that you mentioned what was the name of that
1: yeah so there's two collect it's, okay. all, it's yeah. all so much <laughs> so there's You're two busy. <laughs> you know and it's it's hard teaching and i guess it's is what this podcast is all about <laughs>
0: yeah like how do you do it <laughs>
1: how do you do it Ugh, oh. without sleeping right so I have Sabur Sankofa. That was started by me and one of my really good friends, Saman. She's a Pakistani and mm-hmm. I am African-American. And so mm-hmm. we combined Sabr, which means perseverance, and Sankofa, which is Ghanaian for telling your story and looking back.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then we just like expanded that to our network of of people. And so... we have a few amazing artists who are in that collective and we have been doing a lot of plywood murals together. Plywood murals, if for those of you who don't know, which is interesting for you living in this time, plywood (laughs) murals, a lot of, a lot of places have been boarded up. And so so, it's such a beautiful time for art right now. So you've just been monopolizing on that. And then there is the other collective called Mam, which is, multicultural and melanated. Mm -hmm. And that particular collective does bigger projects like painting stores and all that. And then there's BAMP, the Bay Area Mural Project. Mm -hmm. And they do a lot of amazing work. There's a lot of prolific, senpai-level artists there who are doing these huge, impactful murals. And I'm lucky enough to be around these folks and get to learn from them and get to be a part of these projects that are going to become part of oakland's culture you know when mm-hmm. you walk and you see a certain mural that's just always been there and you yeah. just can't imagine it not being there like uh. that's what they create and that's what i strive for eventually to be able to like get that type of work i'm just lucky enough to be a part of to be a part of that and it's predominantly black which is amazing and we just create work for the people, for the culture.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And how have you gone about sort of like seeking opportunities for your work?
1: Uh, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard. I know one of your questions was, <laughs> any advice you would give to, to any artists who are looking for opportunities? Right. So, you know, when I first started, it was really scary and really confusing.
2: Mm-hmm. Like, I
1: didn't know where, how to get an opportunity. Like, how do I go and vend at a show for anybody like vending is just going to like some party and like selling your artwork there. Right. So like, how do I vend at this party? How do I do this, that, and the third? And you know, it's, it's all about community. Right. Mm. So, you know, my first step was building my art Instagram. I think getting your art out there in general is, is the first step to opportunity. I know that Yeah. I created my art Instagram. And then within two months, I was hit up to do my very first art show.
0: That's awesome.
1: Right. And yeah. so it, it was hugely successful, which then created, I mean, mm. so much confidence. And, you know, it's not always going to be successful. There are days where I go to an art show and I sell work or I go to attempt to sell work and I make no money. Mm-hmm. And there are times where I go and, you know, I make way more than I thought I would. And it can be validating. It can be, you, you just can't, you can't take it personally when people don't buy your work. Your work's yeah. for everyone. Right. Right. It's all But, you know, I'm at the point, I've been doing this, actually pursuing our career for maybe three or four years now. Mm -hmm. And at this point, I'm just creating my own opportunities. It's going around asking. Like, I I have all my cards and I have a bunch of art and I just go into, like, stores and I say, hey, can I paint your wall? And Mm -hmm. they will either say yes or they will say no. Or I will ask someone if I can be a part of this show. And then you get to a certain point where people start, like, you get a flow of work because people are asking you to be a part of the big cultural things happening in your city. So I think I'm very fortunate in that. I think I put in enough work now where I'm very visible and I am being looked at as someone who needs to be a part of this show or a part of this show. So Mm -hmm. it's all about the grind. And so it's all about asking. It's all about taking the nose. And then eventually people will start coming to you.
0: Yeah. But that takes time. Yeah. It
1: takes so much time and so much time defeating your ego Mm
0: -hmm.
1: (laughs) (laughs) you you can't have an ego and do this yeah because your art will not resonate with everybody and you have to be okay with that
0: right right there's this time of just kind of hunkering down and making yeah because you have to have something to take out there and show to everybody before you can even really like start this whole building building your community getting your work out there like what work
1: <laughs> yo that's that's the part though i you know
0: yeah
1: you know teaching it's hard to teach and do that
0: yeah yeah
1: and so i'm you know 2020 has been you know like a, a dumpster fire in so many ways <laughs> but also it's allowed me i have so much product that when we finally mm-hmm. open up like i was definitely selling the same stuff For a while and I needed it to change. And and I know a lot of artists can resonate with this. I finally got the time. Mm -hmm. A lot of artists, teachers, practicing artists and practicing teachers, were really out there trying to get it. Like we finally have the time to sit down and make things and make our prints and make our shirts and get our stickers and all that stuff. So thank goodness for the pandemic for that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Although I feel like it's it varies a lot. Like having kids during this has made True. made me have maybe less time.
1: You know, I have, but, I have. Oh. I need to check my privilege.
0: <laughs> Your non-parent privilege. <laughs> yeah, I need to check it. No, but I hear that too again and again from other. Teachers who you know have been—I know some are back in person already, but those who are not and have been kind of like, "Okay, I'm I'm at home and I can't really go anywhere and do anything. (laughs) I've got studio time, like forced studio time.
1: That's the best studio time.
0: Yeah, (laughs) and so much. I mean, I guess it. This is also a check your privilege thing. I was going to say like there's so much fodder right now, but. Maybe for some people, it's more like, I can't do anything. I have to just like, focus on taking care of myself.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, you know, art can be so different for so many different people. Like, some some people feel like art is the thing that's helping their mental health right now It's the thing keeping them centered. Totally. For Some people it's like, I I'm so distracted. I can't create I'm not everything is so bad right now. Like, the flow is just not happening. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm glad I had to check my privilege in that sense. Because if I wasn't able to create in this time, and it's almost been a year at this point we've been in a pandemic. Right. I, I don't know. I feel like I would have lost a part of me. So, like, to all those folks out there who have these creative blocks, mm. and it, especially if it's been a pandemic long creative block, Mm. I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm here for you. I'm so sorry. That's, that's happening. And I will definitely check my privilege.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That is so
1: tough. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, it's definitely for me. I'm, I use it as therapy. It's so helpful.
1: It's one of the only things I can, that can get us through. Like we have so Mm -hmm. much energy. Luckily gyms are trying to open up again, but you know, you have all these, all this energy, you have to release it. Right. And so, yeah. you know, me and you, we can just go into our studios and just put that all out on the all out on however we create.
0: Yeah. And your your space, did you already kind of work at home? Or did you have a studio out of the home that like, has that shifted because of the pandemic at all?
1: Yeah. So I used to work in my room primarily. Mm-hmm. But you know that I think I needed to separate myself from my, from my room,
2: mm-hmm.
1: especially during the pandemic, because, you know, I teach in my room, <laughs> uh, you know, I, you know, I live in my room, like it's, yeah. it's, it's, I need to be out, I, I can't paint on my bed anymore. It's just, especially, yeah. you know, especially when the level of work becomes a lot greater a lot more commission work or your work is becoming more noticeable i think Mm -hmm. at a certain point you have to have a space dedicated to just creating art yeah so i have a separate space in a different part of oakland Mm -hmm. where my me and my collective we actually share the space and that's where we create all our stuff now and it's I, i didn't think having a studio would be a game changer but having a dedicated space to just make stuff it's mm-hmm. the energy in there is different mm-hmm. you know like i have my bad days my sad days in my room i you know my frustrated days but like when i'm in the art studio it's just pure creativity mm-hmm. and that's where like all, all the pain is and it smells like it smells like paint you know yeah. like, it's great like you shouldn't be sniffing paint you gotta <laughs> relax but like Let's not lie, like paint smells great. (laughs) So, you know, it just smells like art. And like there's a whole bunch of other artists who share like different spaces near there. And the community is amazing. So being able to get out of my house and create in a different space, I'm glad I have the privilege of doing that, especially like in California where everything is so expensive.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So I'm definitely feeling blessed that the art is doing so well that I can afford to have a space.
0: Yeah, that's awesome.
1: But Yeah, it's yeah.
0: Yeah. Now, what does your time look like? What does a week look like for you?
1: Oh, it's, it's all different. I think. Yeah. <laughs> so during the summer, I was teaching summer school. I was teaching English, but they were also mm-hmm. paying me a a ridiculous amount. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> if not, I would not have. But I'm like, over the summer, right? You know, that was in the in the midst of all the protests, so it was. Mm-hmm teaching until one and then going to paint a mural until the end of the day and then going to go draw a proposal and then sleeping and then teaching and then going to finish a mural and then getting Mm. another project it was like a not like at one point I was doing like several projects like painting a store and painting a mural all at once and it was all it was it was a lot and it, it was too much yeah. i think i definitely overworked myself and mm-hmm. but like opportunity it doesn't come very often and as mm-hmm. an art teacher my biggest fear as an art teacher who's also trying to make it as an artist is that i'll get left behind mm. you know i think the reason why you and i talked so long about teaching is yeah, because that's my profession, right? I'll never lag on that,
2: mm-hmm. you know.
1: And that's something we're clearly super passionate about. We do that every single day. Right. We have to have a level of expertise about it. But because, and I, I came up with a, a few artists. I don't know if you ever heard of the freshman class, kind of like a thing. No. A lot of us came up in the Oakland art scene around the same time and started to gain some momentum around each other. We're all noticing each other and. But I'm noticing, okay, we're all getting to the point now where we're getting really big projects. But I can't take this project or that project Mm. because I have to go in unit plan, or I have to be at this PD, or I have to be at this leadership meeting. And so, my my biggest fear is that I'm going to be left behind by the people who are just pure artists, who they're, they're struggling artists, their day job is art. Yeah, And so I have to work like extra hard to make sure that I can remain relevant mm-hmm. because I've also worked really hard to get to where I am. And so I mean, I'm going to go to the studio right after this because I have to put up a mural presentation. So it's like nights in the, in the studio. It's you know, doing things like the podcast. and I'm currently creating a piece for a podcast. So they can use oh, for cool. the thumbnail, yeah. right? So creating those and like making sure I'm staying true to contracts. So it's, it's definitely an all-day thing. Teaching and doing this is definitely stressful. But I mm-hmm. think at the end of the day, for us practicing artists and teachers, I think it creates more buying with kids. Yeah, Right? When the kids, like, before I was actually out there trying to do art, my kids would say to me, like, Miss you're not even an artist. And mm-hmm. I'd be like, you don't know. But mm-hmm. I'd be like, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, you're right. Because I'm not no. my art all my art was on my wall. And like I am an artist, but I can't say that I am a professional artist. Mm-hmm. I'm just somebody who draws and who teaches. And so it's about time to put your money where your mouth is. And now that my kids can now go into some movie theaters and see my work, yeah. they can they can see proof that their art teacher is somebody who actually does this. And now that they know that they have an art teacher who does this they're now more willing to learn from
2: you. Mm-hmm. You know
1: what I mean? So like, it's hard. It is stressful and it's not for everybody, the level of work we have to put in. But at the end of the day, it's like, it creates impact for your kids also. And it helps in that realm. And so like, that's why I also push forward with being a professional artist. Yeah. Cause you know, kids see that you don't have to just do sports. You don't have to just be a rapper. You can, there's there's a path with art Yeah, and I'm showing you that there's a path here.
0: Uh And it's so inspiring for them.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, especially for us people of color. You know, you don't Mm -hmm. you don't see many of us out here. Well, you know, with like pink clothes on, and you know, like just really sweating, just like putting our all into it. Because you just, and when it comes to black people and art, it's usually music or acting Mm -hmm. or it's sports. And so I definitely see some of my black boys looking at me without even realizing it. Like, oh. Oh, this is something I can actually do. Now that's so exciting.
0: Ah, I love that. Yeah, yeah, because the art world is a pretty privileged. Place.
1: Yeah, you, you have to have a really cushy, you know, mm. safety net in order to really be able to do this full time, you know?
0: Yeah. Ugh. Well, knowing that you have to head to the studio, maybe we should start like wrapping up a little bit. So I have some kind of fun wrap up questions. Okay. One really broad one that I always love is what are you curious about right now?
1: Ooh, like in general? In
0: general, it could be, you know, I feel like I like it to just be broad. and really open-ended could be about your work your teaching life (laughs) there's a lot to be curious about right now (laughs) oh
1: oh, wow well you know you know if you asked me last week it'd be something different you know this week i'm just really curious when joe biden's gonna not have 264 electoral (sighs) college votes when's that gonna move up so I'm just really curious, when is this going to end? Like, you know, I think the thing that I'm really curious about, and that's kind of in the same vein, I'm really ready for something life-changing to happen in this country. And so I'm just curious to see after this happens,
2: mm-hmm.
1: is Donald Trump going to go to jail? Are we going to ever going to see his, his yeah, report card? As or you should. <laughs> you know, his tax returns? What are we going to find out? Mm-hmm. Is there actually yeah. going to be a civil war? Huh. Interesting. Oof. So, like, yeah. no, these aren't things that I want to be curious about. <laughs> but mm. yeah, I mean I am honestly happily waiting to see <laughs> his tax returns and all that stuff. I really, really want him to be humiliated, but I'm like, I'm a good person, Corbray, stop. You don't wanna no, stop it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just really curious uh, to see what's gonna happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm wondering if anybody will be held accountable for the many, many crimes. You
1: know Ooh. what what's gonna happen if they're not?
0: Yeah. You know? Not much. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that curious question is a, a hard one right now. <laughs> yeah.
1: check, check, uh, check
0: back in a month. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, really fun, just silly question. What is your go-to order at your favorite restaurant?
1: So I, it's not recent anymore. For a year, I became a vegetarian, mm-hmm. which is such a uh, vegetarian vegan food. is actually really good. Yeah, it's really good. So there's this place in Oakland called Solely Vegan, and it's just like vegan soul food, and it's not good mm. for you. It's it's straight up just not good for you. But <laughs> and so I like, I always love uh, black bean hamburgers, or I'll order anything with French fries, mm-hmm. anything with French fries. I'm a real big breakfast person, so like the thing I've been eating the most from on um, this spot called Pretty Lady in Oakland like a cheese omelet with like avocado and mushroom with hash browns cuz mm. potatoes are the best mm. food. Yeah. With like english muffins which is like the best toast. <laughs> mm. You know, some coffee which it's teacher's lifeblood, so.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know. oh, yeah, that all sounds really good. Ooh.
1: I can't wait for tomorrow.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then last couple of things. Is there anybody you want to thank or give like a shout out to?
1: Yeah. So, you know, shout out to my mom. She recently just beat breast cancer.
0: Ooh, wow. Like a big thing. Yeah. Congratulations.
1: And she, you know, she made sure that I got to art school. She mm-hmm. paid for my dorm. She really supported me in that. And I wouldn't be doing this to the capacity that I'm doing it if she didn't help me get that opportunity and that access. So shout out to her. Shout out to Ashanti Branch. He's one of my mentors, my math teacher back in high school. He's one of the reasons why I'm teaching. Mm-hmm. His, his level of impact and care and love and effect on you know his students is what I want to mimic and emulate. So mm-hmm. I appreciate him. Shout out to my school. I think as an art teacher, I've always felt undervalued and they put me on a leadership team. They've made me, you know, the head of the art department, like they've definitely shown me, you know, what my value actually is and had me look at Mm -hmm. myself in a way that's way more kind. And so, you know, shout out to my whole teaching community and shout out to my students I love you guys. And two more. Shout out to my art homies. You know who you are. Cybers and Kofa. And shout out to you, Rebecca, for creating the space.
0: Oh, thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. And last one, where can our listeners connect with you online?
1: Oh, Hella Futures, Instagram. Yeah. I do not have a website. I'm tackling in my brain, is it worth having a website or not? So for right mm-hmm. now, <laughs> you can definitely slide into my DMs, hit me up, talk to me about anything you want to talk to me about. That's where you can find all of my art. Hella Futures Instagram.
0: awesome yeah and i feel like if it's working for you and a website is a big a lot of trouble for you then well, just, <laughs> i don't know if it's not yeah. broken
2: you know why fix it
0: right yeah. right exactly yeah. uh thank you so much corbre this was amazing i feel like yeah we talked about a lot a lot of teaching but <laughs> so much <laughs> i'll have to catch up with you another time and hear more about your work
1: i appreciate you rebecca thank you yeah
0: Thank you so much, Corbré. I loved his idea of using expert groups in the classroom to encourage students to share work with each other, give more autonomy to students, and offer opportunities for advanced students to showcase and improve their knowledge while helping struggling students. There's just so much to this method. Corbré, I am totally stealing it. thank you so much for listening as always you can reach me at teaching artist podcast on instagram or teaching artist at gmail.com who do you want to hear from please share your recommendations of teaching artists and if you loved this episode please subscribe leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts and follow me it really makes a big difference thank you